Welcome to episode 78 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. I'm Richard McKinnon, and I'm joined as usual by Pilar Orti. Pilar, how are you doing today? Yes, I am good, which is always a good thing. <laughs> and, Just thought uh, yeah. I'd ask. Yes, it's always good to ask. Uh, the problem is if I say, well, Richard, today I'm not that, <laughs> or this, we could go in a whole different direction with the podcast. <laughs> Well, this is really interesting because it's what we're going to be talking about today. It's, this is the second episode in our series all about looking after ourselves when working from home. And working from home, as I said last episode, is a huge topic. So we're splitting it into several different episodes. But today, it's all about maintaining and potentially improving our psychological well-being. So asking people, are you okay, is a really good thing to do as long as people answer that. So are you sure you're okay? Yes, I am. <laughs> good, good. So we we mentioned last time um, the you know the, the, the importance of uh, physical well being, and that, that's something that sometimes gets neglected. So um, this time we're going to look at the role of psychological well being, and as I mentioned, they can interface really easily, and they can impact each other. And just think about a day when you had a headache and how that impacted your mood. And uh, maybe when you um, had some pain somewhere else in, in your body due to an injury that maybe prevented you from participating in sports and how that impacted how you felt about the day and how you felt about yourself. So there's a little bit of an artificial divide between the two. So everything that we talk about today could potentially have an impact on our physical well-being and and vice versa. But I want to start with maybe some context. This series is really all about uh, an eye on the future, working from home when we want to, uh, hopefully not under pandemic conditions. But I came across a report and I wanted to share a quote from this with listeners, a link to the full report. It's, it's free to download. It's quite sizable. There's quite a lot in there. But it's from the Wales Institute of Social and Economic Research. And the report is called Homeworking in the UK Before and During the 2020 Lockdown. So it's very, very current. Uh, and it does refer to homeworking in enforced conditions, let's call it that, rather than voluntary conditions. But I thought there was an interesting takeaway. And I want to share this quote in particular. Nine out of 10 employees who worked at home during the lockdown would like to continue working at home in some capacity with around one in two employees wanting to work at home often or all of the time. Furthermore, employees with little previous experience of home working had not been put off by the experience of working at home. Half of new home workers would like to work at home often or even or always even when COVID-19 restrictions permit a return to normal working. This suggests that a key characteristic of the new normal will be much higher levels of homeworking than in the past. Now, we didn't need to share that to get a sense of that. We, we can all sense that homeworking is likely to increase. But there's some data-driven perspectives on that. And that's rather positive uh, with people wanting to do it, even though it might not have been the most pleasant experience doing it during a pandemic. What do you think I about that, Pilar? I'm very surprised. At the mm -hmm. high level, especially that half of new home workers. So this is the only working from home they've experienced. And that half of them are like, yeah, I could make this work. And nine out of 10 who want to continue with most of them, well, 
with 47% wanting to work at home often or all of the time. It very, I'm, I'm surprised. Um, uh, and, and, and it's also great because, of course, it's an experience that obviously has been positive in some way for a lot of people. And I think that's a really important point when we look at our experience of working from home is what can we take from it that's been a positive experience? What do we want to change as we go into the future? And maybe um, it's not for us. And of course, this excludes all of those people who are employed, who never got the chance to work from home this year because their jobs simply prevented that from, you know, their responsibilities, their roles meant that they couldn't do their work at home. But yeah, I, I was um, I was surprised by these these high numbers as well. Obviously, this isn't survey data, uh, census data mm. as much as it is a survey. So people will have responded to this because they wanted to. Yeah. Um, and you, you had something to share from the CIPD's newsletter, Yes, something that came through just today on the day of recording, which I think is, uh, I don't know, I think it's 8th of December or the 9th of 2020. We're the 9th today. The 9th. That's one of the side effects of working from home. <laughs> <laughs> they all blur into one. And uh, yes, and it came through and it said, um, so it had a, a piece right at the beginning, the introduction piece said, recent data from NHS Digital, so this is in the UK, suggests mental health problems now account for almost four in 10 of all sick notes signed by GPs. So the sig notes for those outside of the UK uh, are the notes that you need to take to your employer saying, I do need time off. But four in 10 due to mental health problems, I, I thought it was quite high. And seeing as we're talking about psychological well-being, I thought I'd bring it in. That, that's really interesting. And I, I can see positives in that. <clears throat> so one interpretation could be that uh, as that number is increased, it's that people are uh, more open about their mental yes. health and their mental well-being. Um, because I know projects that I've been involved in in the past and, and research that I've uh, read in the past um, has pointed to people being less open about that and their sick notes making reference or their self-certificate making reference to musculoskeletal disorders. You know, I've, I've hurt my back, I need a few days off, when in fact it's something like anxiety or depression. So with that number being 4 in 10, it could speak to that. And of course, it could speak to the fact that, um, you know, mental health is, is taking a hammering this year. So, and that, that's a very plausible explanation as well. I'm thinking also that one of the things that the pandemic has uh, enabled or, or has, has uh, um, <laughs> my words failed me, but one of the things that, it, that has happened because of it is that the conversation around mental health has taken um, a more important place. And like you say, it's opened up the conversation because everyone was under stress and therefore we had to talk about it or else it was going, we we're going to have real problems in our organization. And so I, I agree it would be great if that had been one of the reasons why this number is so high is that actually now we can say, you know, we need time off because of, of mental health. Absolutely. Absolutely. And We've touched on this before, and I always make the analogy, maybe it's a little bit crude and simplistic, but if, if you broke your leg, you mm. would see a doctor and you would get time off to recover from that. It's very visible. Um, so it, it's the invisible conditions, uh, so to speak, that we need to cultivate the same respect and understanding of so that time off work due to any condition uh, is equally important and equally respected uh, by everyone you work with. Well, today, when we talk about psychological well-being, I'm talking about that in a very holistic way. 
So not just, you know, the um, mental health conditions, but also our general well-being, our, our mood, our satisfaction, our sense of happiness, belonging, all of that. So just in contrast with last time's discussion about physical well-being and uh, my my somewhat nerdy focus on ergonomic workstation setups. But this is all the stuff that's going on inside of us. And I think it's really important because as I mentioned, whenever I talk about this, well-being isn't simply the absence of an illness. So today, our psychological well-being is not just the fact that we're not stressed or we're not anxious or we're not suffering from a depressive episode, but that actually we're thriving. And that for some people, that's in spite of the challenges that working from home bring. And for others, it is because they're working from home. It enables them to do things that they might not be able to do if they had to go into a physical workspace or um, because they don't have to travel and they're able to uh, have the role of their dreams and do that uh, on a remote basis, on a, on a permanent basis. So we just want to think about this flexibly and, and inclusively. So... There's a number of things that can impact our, our well, our psychological well-being when we're working from home. Um, and I, I just want to say from the start that, of course, anything that we raised last time about physical well-being could negative imp negatively impact our, our psychological well-being. And we spoke specifically about the risk of uh, physical pain and illness arising from a poor uh, workstation setup. And, and if you do develop repetitive strain injury or a cumulative trauma disorder, um, that pain will be very wearing and will have an impact on your mood. And that's just a very simple example of how the two can interact. But I wanted to start by sharing um, a quote from the Working at Home Project. And this was shared in the BPS uh, Psychology Newsletter. Uh, and I'll, I'll link to this and you can read the whole thing. But I, I thought this was a really nice way of looking at this year's experience and, and what we're talking about. So the quote starts, it can be argued that this crisis has led to the most significant intensive social experiment of digital home-based working that has ever occurred. This statement is from the website of the ongoing Working at Home project led by Abigail Marks at Stirling University, which seeks to understand the impact of this experiment. The team points out, some commentators have suggested that home-based work is emancipatory and improves work flexibility. However, the team also notes this new world order where the home becomes a multi-occupational, multi-person workplace not only challenges boundaries, but also conceptions of the domestic space. So how is it making us feel? Overall, not great, according to their initial survey of home workers. One in three reported sharing their home working space. 37% reported that home conflicts have increased, and almost one in four said that they were doing poorly or very poorly in terms of general health. The most commonly cited trigger for household conflict was interrupting or being noisy while you work, end quote. It's quite a lot in there, um, but it's really interesting to see the focus, the research focus on, on this at the moment and all of these uh, employees who are experiencing this for, for the first time or experiencing it like this for the first time. And I think that's a core to this issue that everyone's doing it at the same time, potentially in the household. And it speaks to the importance of boundaries. And we're going to dedicate a whole episode to maintaining and understanding our boundaries but it also speaks to the importance of what the workspace we're in, what that does to us 
and interruptions and noise really contribute to that. And uh, uh, listeners might remember that in episode 70, um, I was lucky enough to be joined by Professor Sakari Cooper to talk about the impact of uh, interruptions when we're trying to work at home. And one of the specifics there is, is noise and how that contributes to our experience of stress. So it, it, it's important, I, I guess, to um, try and visualize a very varied experience of working from home and a very diverse uh, setup for people. Um, and, and so just as much as the physical workplace, the shared workplace is very diverse, so too is the setup that people have and the experience that they have when working from home. And I'll touch on that again when we look at the, the manager perspective, but maybe we can start by looking at some of those challenges that we can face that do impact our psychological well-being when we're working from home. Um, Richard, also, I'd, I'd just like to add that we, so this, this is about, it's funny that this, the, the social experiment of digital home-based working, when people also can't really go along with their normal lives, that has ever occurred. Exactly. I think it, that's really important. I mean, it doesn't mean that we can't learn from what's happened and understand how we work best, but I think it's really important to especially with the huge uh, 37% of home po conflicts have increased. Well, especially if people couldn't go about their normal life or do the things that make them happy and stuff like that. So I think that that will have given some people an awareness of how important some things are. And I think that hopefully moving forward, you can design for that when you are thinking about whether you could use your home as a, as a space to work in. Absolutely. This, this data um, reflects, uh, although it doesn't specifically call it out in that quote, a very difficult situation. Mm. Yeah. And I'm not surprised to see home conflicts yeah. increasing. And I doubt it would have been that high had people had access to a gym, the pub, the mm. park, whatever it is that they wanted, uh, wanted to do. So when we think about um, even in a non-pandemic context, we think about that. How, how might working from home have a negative impact on our psychological well-being? Well, one of the, the really common experiences is feeling a bit isolated, feeling distant from colleagues who might still be in a shared workplace. So if we imagine a scenario where only some people are working from home and, and the remainder are in a shared workplace, you can uh, end up feeling a little bit isolated from them. And the loneliness that can come from that, we're, we're going to cover off in a later episode. But I think this speaks to something that is really psychological in nature, our thoughts about how we're being viewed by others our thoughts about what we think we might be missing out on um, and our thoughts about what we need to do, uh, air quotes, to remain part of the team or to remain viewed as a valued member of that team. So that isolation is, is a risk. Um, Pilar, is that something that you've encountered uh, in your discussions with, with people who, who work remotely? Mm, yes, but... Um but mainly, I don't know, it really depends. Yes and no, I would like to say. Mm, mm. So uh, mainly from people who have had to. So when during the pandemic, that has a sense of detachment and a sense of missing people around them, missing the right people around them also. Um, but I think more uh, seasoned uh, remote workers, they catch themselves earlier. So they've, they've, the, the people who've been working from home or away from teammates for a long while have already identified what 
help what helps them not to feel so isolated and have designed their interactions for it. Um, but yes, um, yeah, yeah. So, so the, the the competence of working independently and remotely, part of that is based on a realization that you need to do things differently mm. in order to feel and remain connected. But that early on in that experience, it could be that you realize, I miss this. I miss yeah. the some of that contact. Absolutely. I, and I've worked with people this year who've gone along that curve from feeling quite disconnected through to realizing that they get enough contact as long as they're proactive about it and actually they benefit in other ways. We can also, again, missing some of the uh, visual cues that we get in a shared workplace, we can we can forget to, to take breaks. Um, we can end up working slightly longer and um, not when we, we want to. And of course, I went uh, into some detail about the importance of, of taking breaks, both from screens, from work, from static positions. But taking breaks from work... Um, forgetting to take breaks from work can have a negative impact uh, on our psychological well-being and contribute to our experience of being overwhelmed, of, of feeling stressed. Now, a couple of months back, I, I ran a, a public webinar on how to deal with being overwhelmed. So I'm, I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail around that today, um, but I'll, I'll signpost the recording because it's now on YouTube. So if you're interested in that, you can have a look at that. And it's not specifically about working from home, but just how different factors can combine to leave us in a position where we feel a bit overwhelmed by what is is coming our way. And that can, of course, come together with that feeling of being detached or, or less supported, because in a physical environment, we might be able to turn to someone and immediately, you know, point to this email and say, did you get this too? Or I don't know where to start this morning or notice the person next to us looks a bit uh, overwhelmed or a bit, a bit shocked. But there are ways of dealing with this. Obviously, when we when we work remotely, we just need to to do that a little bit differently. And of course, another element of this that I'm I'm experiencing with every organization I'm working with is people are getting a little bit tired by um, endless video calls. And I mean both bored and frustrated by them, but also fatigued by them if they're not organized properly. And if they are truly back to back, they can they can be quite taxing. We mentioned the fact that being interrupted and experiencing noise can uh, represent a stressor uh, when at home. And, you know, one major uh, stressor, a thing that leads to our experience of stress that's job related would be a lack of support from others. And so we can perceive that. We can believe that we're less supported when we're um, remote from people. That may not be true, but it's the perception that's really important. And that can also mean that we um, bring an extra pressure on ourselves to prove ourselves to others, to really want to be seen to be our best, most productive, most collegiate selves. That can lead to a bit of demandingness, um, which can be ultimately unsustainable. And to flip that around, it may be that the manager that we work for, the team leader that we report to, uh, is a bit controlling of those people who work remotely and we can end up being in a situation where a little bit, a little bit micromanaged uh, and that can be again, unsustainable, but can be quite a stressful experience and uh, at the very least a very unpleasant experience for most employees. So just a very quick run through there of some of the things that we'll be familiar with when we, when we look at the experience of 
job stress, the same factors can impact us. But I think the detachment, the physical detachment, when we're less experienced with this, can lead us to feel a little bit isolated. Our minds can fill in the blanks with all kinds of things because we don't necessarily know what's going on elsewhere. And that can lead to some behaviors that are less than helpful. I think that's how I would just summarize all of that stuff. In addition to those, have you spotted any other ones, Pilar? Are you aware from your experience of any other things that remote working um, can do negatively? No, I'm just looking to see whether any of these uh, had the whole, I think the whole end and beginning of day stretching, <laughs> stretching out forever. I think you're talking about, yeah, extended hours. That's, that's, I think that's the main one. That's the one I've seen that the, the commuting hour has now been transformed to a working hour. So almost the, automatically, right? Yeah, yeah. It's and, unspoken. <laughs> yes, and there was also something I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before. I think uh, in the summer, so around August 2020, uh, Microsoft did a study. They looked at how their people had coped with going with after post lockdown, and in China, they found that a lot of the habits that they had acquired during lockdown, when we were new to remote work and probably had loads of work to do because of the situation. And some of those habits, like working a bit over the weekends and stuff, had remained when they had gone back to the office. So that uh, that's what I was thinking ar around the mm. extended hours, that a lot of people were, during that sudden rush to working from home, it was not just adapting to working from home, adapting to communicating online, but also there was... For some people, they had uh, more work because of the, the problems they, 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 they found. So I think it's, it's very important also just to make sure that we leave that behind and that that doesn't continue to be the norm. Yes. And it's very easy for things like that to become a norm for a team, mm. for an organization. Um, I'm thinking of those people who work remotely and work with people in very different time zones. And their, their day can extend because of that, because there's less of an appreciation potentially compared to people who are in a physical space together. And, and if you had to ask someone, can you stay late to talk to me this evening? That's very different to, well, we're online. What's, what's, what's the problem? Well, yeah, your, your lunchtime is my dinner time or my nighttime. And, and it can be difficult to broach those topics in conversation, especially when you want to prove yourself and support and, and all of those things. So it underlines, I think, the point I made a couple of episodes back about let's draw a line under this and see what we can do properly, sustainably going forward so that we can focus on well-being in a general sense and make sure that uh, working from home is a win-win experience. So for each of these conversations, we want to look at what can be done. You know, um, I'm, that painted a bit of a negative picture, didn't it? So let's talk about some positives. <laughs> um, but let's talk about uh, maybe the, the different audiences that are out there. We've got what, what individuals can do. We've got some thoughts from managers who might be listening, for team leaders. And then the organizational perspective is, is really important as well. So in a, in a general sense, um, you know, managers are individuals too. When, if you're listening to this and you're either uh, new to working from home or you're considering extending your working from home experience into 2021, it's just useful to consider how you're feeling. Um, to keep an eye on that and reflect on how you're feeling about that experience. And I'd make a distinction between two things. Our moods can be quite volatile. And by that, I mean, we can have several moods 
many moods a day, um, whereas our general satisfaction with work isn't as volatile as that. So one tough day doesn't make for a terrible job. Uh, but a tough week, a tough month when the same things are happening and wearing you down, that's a very different experience. So a, a good idea is to keep track of this and just keep a record of a few things here. One is how you're feeling about the working from home experience, your concerns, your worries, your wins, your successes, and also your working hours. And just keep a note of that, not to clock watch, but just to see the general direction of the trend. It could be you end up working through choice a little bit longer at the beginning of this experience while you get used to new technologies and new routines. But the hope would be that you do not work significantly longer than people who are based in an office just because you're working from home. We want to make those things quite distinct. A very general recommendation is the point of routine and not inflexible, rigid, unhelpful routine, but a routine that you set for yourself when you're working from home that you would encounter when you were going into a shared workplace. You would have a, a time when you'd leave home, a time when you would arrive at work, there'd be potentially coffee breaks, there might be a lunch break, there might be um, a closing down routine at the end of the day, and then a return to your home. So routine can be quite comforting, but also routine can help remind us to take those all important breaks. It can help remind us to eat and stay hydrated. And of course, it can make the working day much more sustainable in terms of our, our well-being, in terms of our health. Um, and when things are tough and when you're feeling a little bit disconnected, your routine can give you a sense of control that might be missing from the rest of your job. If there's a lot of demands heading your way, you maintaining a routine can enable you to have a start and a finish to the end of your day, which is important for, for most people who are working remotely. Now, Pilar, you can shout if I'm, if I'm misinterpreting <laughs> this, but most people who are working remotely will be, to, to, to a large extent, knowledge workers. Yeah. And what that means is that there's no end to the work. Uh, you don't reach the bottom of the bucket and go, oh, okay, all the work has been done. There's always more that could be, do, that could be done. And so a, a key responsibility is to know when your day is finished. And so having a routine for your day and having some rituals at the start and at the end of the day that signify to you and others, work is finished now, that can really contribute to a sense of accomplishment, uh, a sense of rhythm um, and a sense of distinction where that's important um, between when you're working on the professional stuff and when you're attending to your personal responsibilities. So there's a few wins there to... to um, building up the habit of routine and building up the habit of some rituals at the start and the end of your day. And they can take pretty much any form. It's just that they are habitual. They're done regularly and they have a significance to you. I think also, Richard, around that is something about uh, different devices also, or, or using your, your devices in a way, in a different way to home or, or work. So this mm -hmm. might work for some people. So this, this computer is for this. You, you might, if you have the luxury of having two computers or, or two different accounts in your computer, one in which you log in for work and one in which you log in for personal or, or adjusting your, your phone also so that stuff doesn't creep in. I think that that's, yeah, that's also something, it's part of all of this. It, it is. And they're, they're really good um, 
reflections that we'll, we'll cover off when we look at boundary management mm. because the technology is both facilitative. It's, it's so helpful. And at the same time, it can blur those boundaries if we want to use devices in both our professional and our personal lives. And this is an individual thing, of course. Yeah. You may be quite um, good at the self-management of l- not looking at your work emails while you're holding that tablet, but many people don't have that <laughs> and will continue. And of course, then the working day will bleed into the, the personal time as well. When it comes to um, being, having that feeling of being disconnected or, or not part of things, a conversation I've had multiple times this year uh, is about, well, I don't want to bother people. I, you know, I'm at home. I, I miss some of the chats. I miss some of the conversations. I've got questions, but I'm sure everyone's really busy. And so this points to the benefits of being proactive in terms of communication with others and, and using methods and approaches and routines that are appropriate to your team and your organizational culture, but noticing any tendency for you to believe that you shouldn't be bothering other people because lots of people think the same thing. So if everyone doesn't want to bother anyone else, then no one's going to talk. So just being proactive about that and not necessarily waiting for people to get in touch with you um, and knowing that there's multiple channels available to you. Mm. I had a note about that, uh, Richard, because I saw I saw that. And another thing that comes to mind, which might start to steer a little bit away from physical psychological well-being, but I think it really depends on the person, is to, again, proactively stay in touch with the organization uh, and use anything that the organization is doing online to, I don't meet new people in the organization or stay in touch with what other people are saying. And in particular, I'm thinking those places that have enterprise uh, social networks or mm. even using LinkedIn. So again, I think it's part of of feeling not feeling like you're not isolating yourself or that you're just living within your team and that you've lost touch with the organization. But you, but of course, it's got to be deliberate. You've got to set time aside also for that. And and to know why you're doing it oh, absolutely, yeah. and and to have a um, an intent there. But yes, the, the larger organizations will have those kind of systems in place and it can be useful to, you know, some people will be a member of an interest group or a club through their organization and that can be great to use technology to maintain those those relationships. And of course, people will have onboarded. Um, I can't believe I used that word. Uh, pe- people will have joined <laughs> new organizations in 2020 and may not have physically met any of their colleagues yet. And um, so, you know, effective use of technology to book coffee meetings and and get to know people remotely. Uh, It's quite different to those accidental bumping into people or just being introduced by a third party as you walk around the office. So it does require proactivity. And hey, what's the worst that could happen? Someone tells you they're a bit too busy to talk to you today, Mm. but you can do it another time. It's not the nightmare that some people envisage. On a related note, that's staying in touch with what's going on and knowing that you can uh, ask for assistance or indeed offer assistance, which can also be really helpful, but to um, ensure that you're getting feedback uh, regularly. And it may be um, 
unintentionally so that managers neglect the people who are working from home in terms of giving them the very brief um, casual feedback that they might get if they were in a shared space. So again, being proactive and asking your manager for feedback as you complete tasks, as you deliver content, whatever it is that you're working on, just to check in. One, it reminds your manager you're there and you're working away and it, it keeps the communication lines open. But two, it can contribute to you having a, a sense of uh, accomplishment, satisfaction for tasks well done, and also clarifying expectations, which is really important because if you haven't done that and if you don't do that as an ongoing exercise, all kinds of monsters can grow up in our minds about what's being said about us or what's being thought about us. So keeping the communication lines open and asking for specific feedback can help keep a reality check on all of that stuff. And I mentioned we're talking about um, psychological uh, well-being in, in the broadest sense. But of course, some people will encounter life events and challenges that will detract from their psychological well-being uh, such that they really need help. It's important to familiarize yourself with sources of support before you need them so that you know the person you could go to or the system you could go to. So there are in larger organizations or larger organizations employee assistance programs that you could access to get advice, to get support, to get psychological support. But it, in a smaller organization, it might just be being clear to yourself on if something happened, who could you speak to? Uh, who could you open up to about that? It may not be someone at work. It may be uh, a close friend. But knowing this knowing you've got those tools in your toolkit before you need them can make it infinitely easier to access them rather than trying to figure out what you can do while you're in the middle of a particularly difficult time. And something, and this is definitely me search, not research, <laughs> but in my experience of, of coaching individuals in the workplace who, uh, you know, they, they, they're maybe juggling two or three very, very difficult life events and coaching is no longer the, the most appropriate thing for them. There's a, a trend I see where people play down um, how much they deserve access to the employee assistance program. They say, oh, no, that's only for serious things. I don't mm. want to bother them. And, you know, I try and facilitate that conversation and point out that you're juggling several difficult things here and you've done a great job coping with it so far. But maybe now is the time to take advantage of another tool and it's at your disposal and you're not malingering and you're not taking advantage and you're not using up a resource that someone uh, who's having a tougher time than you could better use. It's there for everybody. So if you do have that thought that maybe it's not for me, you know what? Ask first, go, go and use that resource. And um, if it's not appropriate, they'll, they'll surely tell you, but I, I put money on it that they won't tell you you're wasting their time. And on the day to day, you mentioned commuting time, uh, PLR. And then, mm. again, it's very easy for that commuting time to get sucked into the working day. But you know what? It's also a great time to ring fence and use it for things that are beneficial to you, your well being in the broadest sense. So to identify some simple self care strategies. And this is not for when time is tough and you're dealing with, you know, particularly big challenges, but to, to be able to get a sense of looking after yourself 
and um, having a sense of compassion for yourself. What you can do things when working from home that might be more difficult when you have to commute uh, on a regular basis and when you're in a shared workplace. So there's things that you might be only able to do when you're at home that you could sandwich your working day with in the morning and in the evening. It might be exercise, it might be doing something like meditation, it might be engaging with one of your hobbies, it could be spending more time with your family, um, although not everyone will agree that's a self-care strategy, <laughs> but it might be, you know, but to do this with intent and all these things positively contribute to our experience of a, a more um, intentional way of navigating work versus non-work. Uh, and so don't automatically let that commuting time slip into uh, the working day because you may well have been doing something for you while commuting. If you were on the train or the bus or even driving, you may have been listening to some music you like. You might have listened to a podcast. You might have been learning something, uh, a language or a new skill or whatever it might be. Don't let go of that just because you're not commuting. And uh, if you can, block that time so that you can still dedicate it to something that benefits you in a very holistic way. I, uh, now you, you can come back and check on this in the future, but during our lo lockdown number one, I, I um, dedicated some time in the morning to yoga each day and it made a really, really big difference. And then I dropped the habit. Uh, because work got busier again and I fell into my usual trap of, well, you know, I better say yes. Who knows when this opportunity could come again? Well, I've started it again mm -hmm. and I'm really appreciating it. And I um, follow instructions on the TV and it's just, you know, it's a self-led thing and I'm in no way uh, an expert, but it is lovely because it's a new morning routine that's just for me. That's nothing to do with work. And I feel the benefits of it. And I could do as little as 15 minutes. I could do 30 minutes. It's not a huge time commitment, but it's very symbolic to me that I'm doing something for my well-being. And that sort of echoes throughout the day. And I find that really, really beneficial. It's not for everyone. Absolutely. But it could be something as simple as that, that you ring fence and say, this is for me. It's for my well-being. And I'm going to do it and, um, and keep doing it because it's beneficial. And when looking after yourself, um, again, I'll point to uh, a webinar I ran uh, this, this year about coping. Coping is anything that we do in the face of challenges, in the face of difficulties. The coping is our response to that. Now, not all coping is created equally. Not all coping is, is equally helpful or suitable or applicable. Um, but it's really useful to have a range of coping responses and to leverage different coping strategies. Won't go into all the detail today. I'll point to that, that webinar, but the most important thing is that they're sustainable, that coping with challenges at work doesn't either detract from your non-work life or indeed detract from your well-being. And of course, we can sometimes lean on coping strategies that aren't necessarily sustainable. And that's the use of substances and alcohol and nicotine and, and food. Um, but something that helps you feel better, that's not going to necessarily take away from your well-being. One of the um, things that can really contribute to our stress and our anxiety is our own old friend multitasking. <laughs> and when we feel under pressure to get more done, we can easily fall into that habit of multitasking. But if you focus on one thing at a time and give it your attention, you can be more efficient, you can be more productive, you can 
create fewer errors in your work, but it also takes an awful lot of pressure off you. So look out for the habit. Where, where are you tempted to multitask and where could you maybe bring your focus to bear on just one of these important things at a time to get through it and get it done rather than feeling you need to be doing lots of things at the same time. And the final thing that everyone can do when working from home, and you might feel the need for this without me even telling you, is to make sure that you get some time outside of your home um, during the day. And that's really particularly important during the autumn and definitely the winter because we have less sunlight and sunlight can have a huge impact on um, our psychological well-being, on our mood. So make sure that you do that. It's during one of the breaks that I've advised you take. Uh, get some time outside, get some fresh air, get some movement. It can really give us a boost. And you will notice the difference when you don't do that and you find yourself indoors all the time. And you'll know this from earlier in 2020 when it was such a precious time to be able to get outside during lockdown and get your one daily exercise. At least that's how it was here in the UK. Pilar, anything else you'd throw into the mix in terms of looking after yourself psychologically? No, I was just thinking that today I haven't planned any time outside, but that's mainly because it's so cold at the moment that, uh, <laughs> that I, yeah, I'm being very uh, careful. So I had a few things and I thought, you know what, I, I just won't, I probably won't go out all day. Um, no, I think, I think you've covered everything extensively. By which you mean I've been speaking <laughs> <laughs> far too, far too long. Well, look, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, sorry, this is another thing. There is a lot of stuff to consider. So there really no is. Wonder. There really, really is. And and of course, this isn't do all of these things now. This mm. is keep an eye on these things. And, and my first my first thought about keep an eye on how you're feeling is probably the most important thing. When you notice a change in yourself, or when those around you notice a change in you. Listen to that and, and see what you could maybe adjust, not reinvent yourself and not change everything, but maybe think of them as a series of dials that you could make small adjustments to until you find something that works for you. Because some of this um, is quite generic yeah. and there may be things that bring such pleasure, such achievement and a sense of accomplishment to you that we haven't talked about at all. But the stressors that we know impact us in the workplace will impact us when we're working at home as well. So we need to keep an eye on that stuff in general. But because we have that slight remove from other humans, we need to be more proactive in how we deal with this and how we remain connected with others. Now, if you're managing people, uh, either an entire remote team or you've got a couple of people on the team who are working from home on a, a regular or even permanent basis. It's important that as manager, you do all of this stuff, but also remember that your perspective on the people working remotely is very important. So we mentioned how sometimes we might uh, neglect them. Uh, unintentionally neglect them. And that might be forget to tell them things, you know, don't include them in communications because you're covering it off in the office verbally. Um, remembering to question your assumptions about homeworkers, that stuff can lead to the micromanagement. So your assumption about what someone is doing or not doing at a given time can lead to checking in on people in a in a challenging way, in an unhelpful way, in a micromanaging way. So if you assume something about what people are doing or not doing, um, have another look at that and, and maybe see if there's another explanation for what's happening. And that could be simple things like, they didn't answer the phone when I called. 
Um, I wonder where they are. I wonder what they're doing. Well, you know what? Everyone needs a break. Everyone uses the bathroom. Everyone needs lunch. Um, you know, they, they will get back to you. And with that staying in touch uh, with people, it's really useful and really important to talk about how you're going to do that. And that not every message from you is a checking up on someone, but is a checking in and to see how people are and to communicate things and, and um, ask them questions and, and whatever it might be. So that you're not, even with the best will in the world, you're not being perceived as micromanaging or testing them. Because that belief that you're testing them, that you're micromanaging them, that you don't trust them can lead to people not taking breaks and being anxious about being away from the keyboard so that if they miss a message, even for just a couple of minutes, they'll feel that they've somehow failed. So be really clear about those expectations and your intentions. And we talked about um, if you're getting feedback as an individual from those around you, look out for behavioral changes in people who are working from home. Uh, look out for any changes to um, how contactable they are, how responsive they are. Um, maybe when you spot on camera their um, their mood, their emotions, anything like that. It, it could well be a sign that they're under pressure and stress and they're experiencing a hard time of things. You'll only know this if you remain in contact with people. So it's very important uh, to do that, obviously. And we're talking about all of the things that contribute to our well-being. Well, it's very helpful if managers role model that stuff. I said it last time, normalize the taking of breaks, but normalize talking about how you feel about things and how you're doing and the use of the employee assistance program and um, asking about getting quiet and focus time and the benefits of routine. Just make this normal. Um, as it is for the people in the office, as it is for those people who are working at home. You're going to damage other people's boundary management and uh, their satisfaction and their perception of work if you don't role model, for example, um, boundaries around working hours and assuming someone is always available because they uh, are not in the office and they're working from home. So in addition to looking after yourself, and role modeling this stuff, it's being mindful of how your communication and your behavior could be construed by the people uh, that are working at a distance. And, and the communication channels that you use uh, are so important here as well. And a lot can get lost in text alone. So just being more mindful about how you keep in touch and how you check in rather than checking up on the people who are remote. I'd also add, Richard, and this will go into boundaries that have to that extra looking after yourself here, because if you're a manager who tends to always want to be available to everyone. Uh, so I, I don't know whether that would be part of this checklist again. Of course, what you've been talking about, how we enable the homework. But I think there's that extra thing for the manager working with people at a distance that it can lead, <laughs> it can be difficult to think that you have to be always on uh, because you are the person responsible for others. Absolutely. Absolutely. So self-care, self-management for managers, for organizational leaders is really key. Absolutely. You won't be, a, a, you won't be able to be the mm. best manager if you're not looking after yourself and having some understanding of the boundaries there about what you're responsible for. It's a very common experience, uh, taking on board the problems of the people that work for you, even if they're not work-related. 
because they confide in you and they let you know how things are going. So self-care in the broadest sense is really important for those people managing remote workers. And you make a really good point there, which is also the fact that they might be remote um, five miles away or they might be remote 500 miles away. Mm. And when there's a, a time difference, it, it might be that you want to be available to them at a time that suits them. And so some discussion is going to be required there, not the automatic, I will be on, I will be available. From, from an organizational perspective, I think we're, we're sort of tying up all these loose ends here, um, making the investment in manager training so that managers can be the best managers of home workers possible. And it's not just an automatic flipping a switch and now you're managing a remote team, carry on as before. They do need support. They do need training. They do need guidance. Making sure that home workers get uh, the training they need. We mentioned um, training around ergonomic setups last time and, and physical health and all of that. The, the training that people need to be self-motivating and organized and, and all of this stuff that can contribute as well. So whatever it is that's going to help home workers thrive, make sure that that's available. Make sure that people understand where they can access uh well-being resources in the broadest sense, including employee assistance programs, but anything else that can contribute to well-being and definitely minimize barriers to them and normalize their use. Make sure that people feel they can access them and, and it's, a, it's a good use of uh, the resources available. Make it part of how things are done, that expectations and norms are really talked about explicitly. We don't want all of these important things to fall between the cracks and lead to big assumptions and lots of unhappiness and, and long working hours. And of course, at the organizational level, when we're talking about this stuff, it's really important that the leadership role model this stuff as well. And we don't just say, if you're working at home, do this good stuff. And then leaders are emailing people 24-7 and asking things of people that don't respect those boundaries or those time zone differences. So for the individual, quite a long list of things to consider. It's all of that plus a little bit more if you're managing people. It's all of that plus a bit more if you are uh, a senior stakeholder in the organization. I think in addition to all of this, the most important thing is to ensure that if you talk about well-being, if you talk about people looking after themselves, you need to ensure that you actually do that stuff as well. If there's a gap between the two, it can lead to an awful lot of cynicism and bad feelings. So if you do talk about well-being, um, don't limit that to your well-being week uh, or your well-being day or your stress awareness week, but make sure it's part of everything that's done every week of the year. So I think it's time to wrap up. Um, <laughs> we've gone a little bit long here uh, on this one. I an evergreen uh, evaluation of our podcast. Um, so we've looked at the, the role of all of these different things when it comes to maintaining and potentially improving our psychological well-being. We've got a few more episodes planned for the other aspects of well-being, but we'd love to hear from you if you're listening. What works for you? What has been a challenge for you? And what have you done in response to it? How has the adaptation to home working gone for you? And are you one of the, the high number of people we referenced earlier that really wants to continue doing this in 2021? Get in touch. You can send us a message on Twitter at MyPocketPsych, or you can send us a, a longer message via the contact form, which you can find at worklifepsych.com slash contact. Another episode, Pilar. Anything to throw into the mix before we wrap up? No, I don't. I think you've covered everything. <laughs> Again, some subtle feedback there. <laughs>
<laughs> Let's leave it there. Uh, everyone, thank you for listening. Well, there we are. Another episode finished. Thank you for joining us once again. And please, if you have questions or comments about anything we've discussed this time around, get in touch. We love to hear from our listeners. You can send us a message on uh, Twitter at mypocketpsych or send us a longer message via the contact form on the website. And that's at worklifepsych.com slash contact. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.